when Outkast came out, that was the lingo, the style. It was everything that embodied the city. You know, it made it was a lot more relatable. People could look at Outkast and say, "Hey, that's me." Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man. You heard it here first. He's not playing. No, Aaron's not playing. No fucking game. You got your ear to the streets, man. Much love to all the people down under. And make sure y'all follow the Hip Hop Hustle podcast, man, because they're giving y'all nothing but the real shit. But yeah, man, appreciate the intro, bro. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's kick it off. Shout out to the whole Hip Hop Hustle podcast. What's up with it? It's official. For the first time ever, we have Hip Hop Hustle podcast merch. From hoodies to T-shirts to hats and even slides, go to the hiphophustlepodcast.com to get yours. All right. There we go. Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. We're back. We've got another episode. we got the great man himself, Slim Calhoun. Uh, man. Yes, Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, one of the members of the Dungeon family, the man, the legend you've come through. You've also dropped an album uh, last year, Loose Leaf Volume 7. You've been dropping albums year on year on year, and also you've got the album Skinny that came out. But, man, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Well, I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be on the show. When you look back on your career, man, like, do you – like? Do you wonder how it all happened? I mean, you've been an artist for over 20 years. Like, I've I've always been interested. Like, I've been in a fan of hip-hop for a long time. But when you've been an artist and a successful artist with a lot of accomplishments, like, how do you look back on the journey that you've managed to kind of construct for yourself? Well, I mean, uh, I, I, I kind of uh, equate it to something like uh, someone playing uh, – rec ball you know growing up playing 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 ball as as a, as a, as an adolescent you know then going to middle school junior high high school playing ball and then transitioning to college or whatnot and then maybe making it to the pros so it's the same thing i started <clears throat> writing raps uh probably when i was in elementary school from learning how learning about poetry that's that's where it all started with me and then um you know, just through time and progression, just building on the craft and, and, and enjoying uh just putting putting things together. Um it progressed and then, you know, one day I had the opportunity to uh be a professional uh entertainer. So did you have that moment where it was like the turn of like amateur to pro? Um well the crazy thing is I had been around the industry, uh just put. I mean, like I said, we. I was. I was putting myself in situations. Like we used to. They used to have a lot of showcases in the city when I was younger, back in high school or whatnot. Uh, that showcased a lot of talent throughout the city. Groups you had groups like Jagged Edge, uh, One Twelve. I remember One Twelve, the uh, singing group One Twelve. Um, they they actually had a different name uh, before that, and they used to do a lot of showcases in the city. Um, Escape. Uh, a lot of artists were just who 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 we now know to be famous before they were famous. They had been building up on their craft through local talent shows at the schools or whatnot, and through showcases that they were having at different clubs and bars. And um, so it's the same thing. It just was a process, you know, just getting in getting in the network. A lot of a lot of uh my peers in the game, we all knew each other growing up through the process. Um, so. You kind of, you know, you have that expectation, um, that want, of course, but that expectation because you're grinding and, and you're trying to put yourself in position to make it. Now, the the the, the thing is, at the time when I started, <clears throat> you you did have a few record labels in Atlanta, but hip hop was mainly coming from up north and out on the west coast at the time. You didn't have a lot of uh, big acts coming out of Atlanta. Um, you had Jermaine Dupree, which is a friend of mine who, uh, who, um, jumped off at an early age with crisscross, of course. And then through the progression, you had Outkast getting that situation and good him up after that. And you had a, a couple other local groups that had success prior to Outkast, but it was, they were mainly local, uh, or in the Southeast, I would say, uh, 
acts like Kilo Ali, Sammy Sam, uh, the Hard Boys, um, Mojo, he, he, Mojo, who was one of the first rappers to uh, have a song come out of out of Atlanta. Um, that was, I mean, and that was probably what the late eighties, early nineties. So, you know, just putting putting yourself in position to try to level up and get to that next level, and that's that's what I always was trying to do. Yeah, because did you feel like there was a burst waiting to happen in Atlanta? Because I know that, like, you know, it was heavily dominated by New York and then LA came in and then obviously, you know, it took some time before Atlanta and the South really made a name for themselves in terms of, hey, we're here in hip-hop too and now arguably the biggest city in hip-hop. But, like, when you felt, when you were coming up, was there a general consensus around, hey, we've got to make a name for ourselves? Definitely, definitely. Um, I'll say... I, I I felt that it was on the way from uh, just, just like I said, you had things like Jack the Rapper, which was a uh, a record pool uh, convention where well, you had um, the, the, the million dollar record pool. And then you had Jack the Rapper, which was a convention of rappers they used to hold in Atlanta. So you had all the rappers from New York, LA, wherever coming to Atlanta, gathering for a conference, but they were doing it in Atlanta. And I remember, being in high school, going to going to the Jack the Rapper conventions, um, then you started getting the, the record labels started coming down here. So then you had LaFace Records, which was L.A. Reed, who had TLC, uh, TLC and and um, a couple of other other groups. And then, like I said, they gave he gave Outkast their first shot, which was Players Ball, which was uh, actually on on a Christmas album that LaFace was doing at the time, and um. You know, just the progression. PA Parental Advisory, they actually had a situation before Outcast. And they were part that's a part of the Dungeon family as well. But they, they were signed to Pebbles. And that's what kind of gave LA Reed uh I guess the idea and, and, and wanted to say, Okay, well Pebbles doing this with these guys, maybe I'll give these guys a shot. So throughout the process that, that just helped everybody uh you know, level up. Outcast got a shot. Organized Noise was uh producing producing the records at the time, and they were doing, you know, on the other side they were doing some of the R and B, some of the TLC stuff. So it worked out, and then um the Players Ball record just started taking off for them, and um throughout the progression that get, they got a record deal and a chance, and then the rest is history as far as just the you know Outcast. Set, setting the bar and then you had Goody Mom follow with that and then the rest of the guys from the DL. So do you think it was uh, the major labels or labels coming down that really elevated Atlanta hip-hop? Like, Do you think they essentially legitimized it by coming down and s- deciding to sign artists and acts? To, to some degree. I mean, they gave us the opportunity and it was all, I think it was, it, it was a combination. They, they, they presented the opportunity and the artists did what they needed to do as far as putting the right music out and reaching out to the masses. The world was ready for something different at, at the time. So it all, it, you know, it was all about the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I find it like the fascinating in terms of like the historical hip hop evolution of like Atlanta and then obviously what it did. And then the where you were at in terms of your own career of like this is all happening, does it just legitimize everything that you're believing in terms of like, hey, I can make a career and and being a hip hop artist doesn't have to stay underground. It is like there is a pathway for me to be really successful. Definitely, definitely. Like I said, um with the labels, that 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 uh that helped us be able to reach out to other people who may not have been able to hear us. I mean, you're all the way in Australia right now, and we chopping it up. So just that pro- process through through time, you know, it, it it helped us be heard by the masses, and then over time it, it continued to grow. And so how do you view labels now? Obviously it's been 
you know, 30 years since they came to Atlanta. There's obviously a lot of artists making their own labels. There's major labels. The evolution in technology has changed. So the role of labels has kind of changed as well. But what's your general perception on, you know, being an independent artist now versus a label artist now? I mean, it's just, it's, you, you're taking on more of the responsibility as an independent artist. Um, artists, I mean, you're not just, you know, coming with the records and, 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 and getting a record deal. Nowadays, you're already going to pretty much be famous before somebody's going to offer you some serious money. So um, uh, the, the process is a, a lot different. Labels, I mean, it's pretty much all digital now, so you don't really have physical uh, copies. So it, the cost is, is a, it's a lot uh, uh, cost-wise, it, it's, it's a lot easier for the labels, you know, that uploading versus actually physically pressing up uh, music, and it's just building the fan base. Um, now, <clears throat> the difference is uh, the quality of music has changed from the standpoint that because everything is, a lot of stuff is digital and internet-based, uh, you know, you can put a lot of smoking mirrors around stuff and build stuff that's not actually the the better music but uh as far as the entertainment factors whatever that may be for that particular artist you know people gravitate to it and then and, and and uh these artists end up getting getting uh getting a shot so does that make you surprised by who gets a shot and who ends up so famous like do you listen to music and go i'm surprised that that you know, encapsulated people's minds? I mean, well, I've seen, even even in the past, you had a few artists that sh- snuck in and, and you were like, dang, that, that really, you know, some of the underground acts that we may have been listening to locally, um, but you didn't think that they were going to really blow up to be as big as they were, and they actually did. So I've seen it happen in the past, but it was a lot less. Um, like I said, now, with with people being able to kind of control pretty much their own destiny as far as building your own social media base, um, building your fan base, basically on the internet, depending on what it is you're doing, whether it's a gimmick, whether you got authentic music, whatever it is, people are finding ways. Um, so and you know, like like I said, some of it is creative, some of it is chaotic, but somehow some it all works for certain people. Uh, it just depends on the artist and what it is you're trying to sell. So it's it's a different game from that aspect. Well, it's interesting because you said that you have to essentially be famous before a label will sign you. So you've got to have enough leverage. But then I'm like, if I'm already famous and I already have a fan base and I'm already releasing music, why would I sign to a label? Like I, I'm because you own 100% of your music at that point. Like as an independent right. artist who's successful, you're, already, you're owning 100% of it. And then I'm like, okay, is there that much more benefit from going to a label if you've already done it yourself and you're already well known? Now it's funny you ask me that. I just had a a friend of mine, Rock D, the legend. You might have heard him on the record Crypt the Night with a uh, Big Boy and the uh, Killer Mike and the, and the guys. Uh, that was actually his record. But me and him were just talking uh, two days ago about the same situation, and because I have some friends at some of these major digital platforms, um, and I was just letting them know, you know. Before they're going to offer some of these artists money, you're going to already have to be making money because how how these digital platforms um, offer the money is based on what you're already bringing in, which means you already have to have a certain a certain amount of revenue coming in for them to base what it is they want to offer you. Now, the thing is, what I was trying to explain to him is you may have a you may have grown your base to a certain level. But then these people may be able to put you through some other channels that you don't have access to that will take it that much further as far as some of the playlisting, uh, maybe maybe at radio, uh, maybe just re- uh, putting you in other areas as far as other cities, um, getting you uh, exposure in, in other areas. So um, that's the that's pretty much the difference. You can it's, it, you can build a, you like you got a lot of artists that building building their bases up. Uh, digitally on the internet or whatnot. Um, and it's kind of tricky because I got a lot of friends that are DJs who, who, you know, they always are like, well, you got to come support the DJs. You got to do this. 
but you do have a lot of artists that are building fan bases strictly on the internet from jump and um and then it's just you know once they're in demand you know if, if you're in demand the djs have to play it regardless so it's kind of a fine line but shout out to all the djs out there who, who keep this thing going man the party started you dig yeah do you think the the role of a dj has changed i mean they used to be an integral part of hip hop where like if the DJ ain't playing the records, then people aren't really hearing it. And as you said, there are artists now who are like, Hey, I'm just going to do it on the internet, regardless of whether DJ plays it or not. It just, it, it's so, see the thing is, I think the DJ's role is pretty, pretty much the same. The difference is, it's so much going on out here. So it's enough room you got the artists, because you got a lot of artists that are making a lot of money, but they're not getting play in the clubs. They're not getting play on radio, but but they're getting a lot of streams on the internet. People are playing them in the house. They're playing them in their cars. They're playing them at work. And um, so that's the difference. But you still have a lot of artists that DJs are actually spinning. So um, I think it, it, it's just a lot more music out, um, a lot more opportunity for a lot more people. Uh, I remember years ago, uh, MTV had a show. I, um, I can't remember the name, but it was like, uh, it basically was a show that showed you how the actual artist made the video. And then they ended up showing the video at the end. I can't remember the name of the show, but I remember Dre saying that he didn't like that because it's like a magician showing you how he did the trick. You know what I'm saying? And once you know how the magician did the trick, then it's not really entertaining anymore. So um, it's just, you know, the game has changed in so many ways. Um, and everybody doesn't have to be on radio. You have a lot of people, like I said, who, who, are, who are successful. They may not be making millions, but, you know, if you're an independent artist and you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year consistently, you know, you're not hurting either. So uh it's it's just a different it's just a different game. It's so many places that you can be in this game now. And whereas when you had when I came out and you had record deals, it was a lot harder to get a record deal, a situation. Um everybody wasn't rapping. Uh, you know, so the the pool was a lot smaller and and, and music was a lot more special. To most fans, you know what I mean. Um, it, it's, it's a different ball game. People are going with what's trending more more than the actual uh, quality of the music. It's just if it's cool and catchy, then you know they with it. It's not necessarily about the quality uh, right now. It's more about what's what's cool. So that's the difference. Yeah, I mean, I just look at the the quality of music that's being dropped and. Like, do we have any classic albums like that are re- coming out from hip hop in the past, you know, couple of years? Any ones that we turn around and go, these are like fire, like ones that revolutionize hip hop. Like, it feels right. like that is it's a single era. We have way more music, but we're not having classic albums. Like, we're not having an outcast level album that changes the game. We're not having. Biggie. We're not having those artists that are like revolutionizing what is possible within hip hop. Yeah, Killer Mike just dropped. It, it's funny because we we were uh, it was a question on the internet that my uh, one of the DJs posted. But Killer Mike just dropped a classic album. But somebody was saying, who is the uh, the hottest artist out of Atlanta last year in twenty twenty three, and we were saying Gunner and uh, you had a lot of people who would come in Killer Mike album and Killer Mike this, but Killer Mike, he did put a great project out and he probably has the most complete solid album quality wise, but he's not the hottest artist. And when, and, and, and my argument to what, what we were saying is to me to be the hottest artist is radio play club play. And, and demand, and as far as shows, Killer Mike project not getting a lot of radio play, and, and wasn't getting a lot of uh, 
not getting the club play. As far as hip hop fans, definitely they love it. But as far as hot to be a hot artist, to me, you got to be being heard everywhere. And so that was the difference. Now, when, like I said, when we talking quality of of product, I would I would say Killer Mike has the better album that may have come out of Atlanta uh, last year. But you know, as far as the hottest artist, that's two different things. Some of these artists lyrically couldn't compete with some of the other guys, but it's what they're selling and what it means to to the to the fan base right now. You know that the people that's out here um, streaming the albums. Well, I think I mean the real difference is Killer Mike has been rapping for twenty plus years as well. So exactly. what we're talking about is an artist who learned the craft in a different era and has just adapted the skill set. So it's not right. like he's a new artist that came out and dropped a classic album. We're going like, oh, Killer Mike, who's been rapping for 20 years, dropped another fantastic project. That to me right. is like, that actually just shows like Nas is dropping amazing projects. But we're like, right. but they're not new. Like there's no one right. from the new, new. I got you. Yeah, from there's the no, new generation yeah. who's really just, dropping those classics and and it's just i think for the youth they're on a different frequency um you know they they, they care about a lot less uh so it, it for the youth it, it's it's just music means something different you know people in my in my generation music meant a lot more it it it, it, it helped you get through the through the days it helped you get through the tough times you know um it it's it made you Sometimes want to put a smile on your face. So as of, but now it's just more about what's trending. What is everybody into? Uh, you know, what's going on is just a different frequency. Just, just as far as what the youth is on, you know, they, I think, and we just talk about this, not just within music, but a lot of the younger generation just care about a lot less. You know, a lot of them, um, a, a lot of the younger generation, uh, <laughs> it it is it's, it's just a different world. It's a it's a different world now. Yeah, I yeah, I think social media changed it all. It did. It did. Um, uh, it's funny. I remember years ago, uh, doing interviews and they were asking me about music and where I thought it was going and all of that. And and that was one of the things that I was talking about then is social media. And where it was gonna take in back when Nap- Napster was out and and all of that. I had a friend of mine, the CeeLo, who who was one of the producers on my first album. He worked with a chameleon there in in the um, tech space. And I remember a long time ago when MySpace was the big thing, and they were meeting with the people at MySpace. And this back when Napster was out, and he was telling me, he said, "Hey man," he said, "Just sell, uh, get ready to just sell other products." He said because the people are going to get the music free. And this was back when MySpace was out. He said, the music will be free. He said, but your true fans will buy any product that you put out. Because if they're your fan, they're going to want a piece of what you have to offer. So they'll they'll buy the T-shirt. You know, they'll buy the hat. They'll buy the stickers. They'll buy the air fresheners. They'll buy whatever other products you got. He was like, but the music will be free. And from that point, I kind of knew and the game was starting to change, and 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 we it's, CDs were still out, you know, at, at that point. But you could start seeing it slowly but surely turning. And then, of course, you got Apple Music, and you have you got platforms like Spotify and Pandora or whatnot, and, and some of the other platforms. And the game has the game has changed. YouTube, um, it has changed all the way to a digital a digital game, and um. The music is free, so it's a it's a lot harder. I mean, you you looking at the top tier artists right now, who are putting out albums, selling five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand pieces first week. You know what I'm saying? It's just hard to sell an album. Like I told somebody years ago, I said the problem is when the music is free, even though you can buy it. If I go on Apple Music right now, I have the choice to download the the album for free. Or I can purchase it on the download. 
And I said, that's the same thing. If I go in a store and they got Coca-Colas in one bin for free and Coca-Colas in another bin for a dollar, but they both sell, you selling the same Coca-Cola, which one you going to pick? People going to grab the one that's free. So it's the same. It's just, it's just extremely hard to sell an album. Um, music is more like the commercial to sell everything else you got nowadays. How did you react when that you were first taught, told that? Like, that must be some, like, pretty astounding news to be like, hey, man, music is going to be free. What was your what was your general reaction to that? Well, at the time, you know, you're still trying to understand just the game and the process. Digital music uh, was still fairly new. Um, and you're just trying to understand. That it still was a certain amount of artists. Walmarts and Targets, I think, were still selling albums. You, know, you, you had very limited amount of, of actual record stores um, at the time. And uh, just trying to figure out what's really going on, and and it and it and it took it took some time to understand the game and understand how to change, you know, your thought process because you still out pressing. Like I, I was just at the mall a couple of days ago, and a guy had some CDs pressed up, and he was trying to sell his CDs, and I was like, bro, you got to get with what's going on now. They got the cue card. Uh, scans that you can get pressed up on a card, people scanning and it's going to pop up on the phone and that's your whole project. I was like, people not buying CDs. A lot of people nowadays don't even have CD players in their cars. To, I mean, you have a few people, but a lot of people not even playing uh, CDs in the cars anymore. So it's just, you know, the game changed and, um, you know, the transition just got got crazy and you had to get with it and start understanding. And then once you switch the game to the digital game, now you got to, you got to figure out how to promote it. Because if you once were promoting, taking your mute, taking your CDs to different store, uh, mom and pop record stores or whatnot, putting them, um, in, in flea markets or gas stations, trying to sell them or, or whatnot. See that whole game went away for the most part. You got a few people still doing some of that stuff, but I mean, um, the majority of people now, is, it, like I said, it's on the phone. You know, they on their phones or computers or loud, uh, iPads or, or tablets or whatnot, and that's where they're getting the music from. And uh, you got to transition with what what's going on. Well, I think vinyls are almost more successful now than CDs. People are getting, you know, the old school vinyl players in their own homes. Yeah, Killer Mike, I think he ended up dropping uh, – a, a certain amount of pieces of vinyl with this last project. We have an actual record store out here on the south side of Atlanta, um, out in Riverdale, and they actually still sell hard copies. They sell hard copies of albums, and they sell um, they sell hard copies of albums. They sell wax. So, and and they actually still do in stores. That's another thing, because there are no record stores really too many anymore. Artists don't have in store in stores where uh y- your fans get to come out, you sign in the CDs, they get to meet you. You know, just that aspect of the game has changed. So artists aren't getting to really be on the ground with the fans, you know, and, and be approachable and, and let these people get to know them and, and, and meet them. It's more you building your base, like I said, on the internet, building that base up digitally and um that's pretty much what's going on now is just trying to figure out those in and outs. How do I get a bigger presence online? And and that's where the game is now. Well, I mean, it makes sense why music has changed because music is no longer the product. Music right, is the exactly. attention grab to sell whatever other product you're selling, whether it be a course online or clothes or exactly. merch or sponsors or whatever you want to do. So I think we know why music quality has changed is because it's actually not about the quality. It's about attention. So if I grab your attention and I can transition you to my website where I've got other stuff where I'm making revenue, well then I'm going to do that. Exactly. Yeah. That's the game now. Um, Draw them in and and try to sell them what you got. Yeah. Can I ask you when outcast first came out, what was the reception in Atlanta? I spoke to a couple of guests previously on the show. They said that it like 
it blew up Atlanta, that it was like it revolutionized everything, that they those albums just got airplay after airplay. I mean, Rosa Parks was massive. Like, what was it like yeah. when they came out? It, it was crazy because for a lot of people who are from Atlanta, that was, you know, like I said, you had Jermaine Dupree and you had Chris Cross, but that wasn't the true representation of Atlanta as a whole. You know, that was just music more so, I would say, um, with, a, with a little sprinkle of the South, but it really wasn't the South itself. When Outkast came out, that was the lingo, the style. It was everything that embodied the city. You know, it made it was a lot more relatable. People could look at Outkast and say, hey, that's me. I'm that same guy. And um, that's that's what I think that's what made Outkast take off the way they did, because you had a lot of people finally speaking for, for folks from Atlanta. And then how did you get involved with Outkast? Um, well, I had been around the the camp for, for a while. I started as a teenager. I started working up under Ian Burke, who was Outkast's first manager. Um, Ian Burke and Sean Johnson. I met Ian through Sean Johnson. I met Sean through a female friend of mine, Kia, who used to dance in this group, and he used to manage them. But Sean and Ian were Outkast's first managers, Greenhouse Management. and uh, Sean introduced me to Ian, and Ian uh, essentially was starting a, a singing group with this guy, Eric Johnston, um, called Mr. Um, and Mr., if you if you know who Bobby Valentino is, Bobby V, um, he was in the, in the singing group, Mr. I was in, uh, I was in my freshman year in college at the time, and uh, I, 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 I got with Ian, and he had me road managing. Him and Eric had me as Mr.'s road manager. So I started with them. And through that process, I was around the guys. I had already met Gift and Ray back when I was in um, probably like seventh, eighth grade through a friend of mine, Island. Um, I had met them, but we hadn't never talked about doing music or nothing, nothing like that. Sleepy Brown's brother, Jamal, me and him were best friends uh, in preschool. That was my first best friend. And uh, st- still had no connection as far as doing music or none of that. And then just over the time, um, Kia intro- uh, introduced me to Mr. DJ, who was Outkast DJ at the time. And uh, I got with him, and I, I was trying to get some uh, – I wanted a piece of that production because, like I said, I had been rapping forever, but it was it was the production that I needed. So I got with Mr. DJ, and I remember um, he the Outkast was working on his second album at the time. and. Uh, I remember he was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing the beats. We're working on this second album." He was like, "Give me a." So we he played a couple beats. He was like, "I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm rocking with you." Like, I he wanted seven he wanted seven hundred and fifty dollars for the beats, <laughs> and uh, so I told him, "Cool, we'll we'll figure it out. We we'll get it together." So my aunt, rest in peace, she uh was friends with Bobby Brown's sister, and Bobby Brown had a studio downtown called Boss Town which is actually stank on you now. But at the time, it was Bobby Brown's wow. uh, studio. And my, my aunt plugged me with, with with Bobby Brown's sister, and we booked some studio time in Mr. DJ. And uh, we did the first song, I think this was in 94, 95. We did the first song called Time Lock, which actually ended up on my album. We did that song back then. And uh, we did. we went in the studio and did that song. And I remember... I had given DJ uh, half the seven fifty prior to us doing. It. I was gonna give him the rest once we finished the song, and we did the song. And he was like, "Meet me back at my uh, meet me back at my house." So we left the studio. I met him at the house, and when I when I pulled up, we went in there. And we was listening to the song. He said, "Hey man, you don't have to give me no money." He said, "All I need you to do is rap on my beats," and from that, we start. We did a, a few more records and. Uh, like I said, Outkast was working on the on the on the second album on the second album at the time, and uh, he was playing the Time Lock record, and Big and Dre were filling that record. Big really loved that record, and uh, throughout that process, me and DJ were still working. I ended up with the rest of the guys. I was I'm one of the Calhoun, so 
if you if you know about the Dungeon family, you know Cool Breeze. That's Freddie Calhoun. We got Lucky Calhoun, Pollock, Big Cuz. It's a lot of us. But uh, so we had the Calhoun. So I was actually on the first app, major album I was on was on Cool Breeze album, and uh, then and, and, and we were working on on some other stuff that we were putting together. And at that time, I still was working with DJ. And then through that process, Outcast. It, one day, DJ just called me out of the blue, and he was like, "What you think about signing with Outcast?" And I was like, "What you mean? They ain't got no record label." He was like, "Now nah, they about to start a record label. They want you to be the first artist." So I was like, "I'm with it." And uh, so they start putting stuff together, and then he they called me one day to meet him at uh, Doppler Studios. And he was like, "They working on this soundtrack for this Usher movie. They gonna put you on this on this song." So it's crazy. It's Fonsworth. Fonsworth Bentley, my, my my right hand. He called me today about this situation earlier today, and it's so crazy. Um, because when I got in the studio, um, DJ played the beat, and it was just a drum loop, and and and, a, and Drake singing something. Uh, it was just crazy. <laughs> it just didn't sound like nothing. So I'm looking around like it got this got to be a hidden camera trick. This can't be what they're trying to get me to rap on. So. I go in another room and I'm trying to write the rap. I stayed in there about an hour. Didn't come up with nothing. Came out. DJ was like, you ready? I'm like, man, I cannot figure out nothing to write it is. And he was like, one thing he said right then, and I took that, and I was able, from that point on, I just been able to go. He was like, man, just do you on that beat. I left out the studio, went to the store. And I think Juvenile album was out at the time. And I was playing that. And somehow I came up with like the first, couple of lines listening to that album and uh to the to the song went back in there wrote the verse came went in there and killed it and then after that the rest was history and that, that was on the lighted up soundtrack uh record called high school and uh when when they when big and dre heard the verse dre, the first thing dre said man as long as you do that we out of here so the rest was history from them when you said like that advice that you got from dj was like you know do you like you be you? What did that actually mean to you? Like when you heard that, and when you now that you reflect, what does it actually mean? That piece of advice? Just, just, just do what you've been doing. Do you do 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 what it is that you do? Just do it over this. You know what I'm saying? I had already been rapping. I had already been doing songs, but he was just like, "Don't worry about that. Just do what you do and figure out how to put it on this." And once you do that, it's over with. You know what I'm saying? Be who you are, put you on that beat, and you can't lose. So do you think that you were trying to be something else? That you were no, trying it, to mold? It, it, it wasn't even that. Cause see, and, and I, like I said, I was talking to Farnsworth. He called me about this earlier today about that particular song, um, just telling me, some, just saying some stuff that he thought about earlier. And he, and he was singing. The, it was funny because he was actually – singing the little part Dre was doing. If you would, if you hear the song, you'll understand what it was. Like, the beat was nowhere close to being finished. It was extremely raw. It wasn't even a beat. And then the thing is, my process at the time, I didn't write a lot of raps to actual music. I used to just write raps with no music. So I would, how I, my process was just writing raps and then I would end up putting them, finding beats that they fit. And, uh, so when he gave when they gave me that, and then the beat was what wasn't nowhere close to being finished. It just it just was everything was new, new to me. Um, it was just different at that at that one particular moment. But when he said that, it just made sense. Like, boy, just go rap and do what you do. Just rap over that. And I was like, okay, say less. And then once I went through my process, let me go ahead and just at least get these first couple of lines. I knew once I got the first, my starting point going, that then the rest was history. So I just had to get those first couple of lines out. And then it was over with from now. And so how long were you then signed with Outcast for? Um, Maybe up until 2004. And I really would have still, still been there. I, I chose to leave to try to and, and do some other stuff independently that I was working with some other people with. And then that whole situation ended up falling through. And then, it, and then everything else just went from there. But, um, 
I think uh, I probably left around, as far as the label itself, 2004. I've been with the guys the whole time. I mean, um, so I st- I'm still around. We all still do stuff together or whatnot. Um, I've been doing a lot more film um, work as of right now, and, and I'm still putting out the music as well. And then I've been doing music in the film, so that's what I've been up to lately. So was so were you signed approximately for a decade? Was that like ninety four ish? No, I actually no no because I I wasn't even signed yet. I only I signed in ninety nine okay. with Outcast, and then uh, so from ninety nine to maybe two thousand and four, um, I was over there with 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 Cass. And so now that you look back on that, and like as you said, you hang out with with them, and you're friendly with all them. Like it's kind of wild to see all of you, like you were like still progressing and still doing things. I mean, Andre, he just released his most recent album, which everybody was blown away by. I don't think anyone really knew what to expect when he dropped, you know, his flute album and playing percussion and like all that kind of stuff. But yeah, how is it now when you speak to everybody, you know, when you guys are older, you've seen so much happen in music, you've seen so much in your careers, like, what are the interactions like? And it's pretty much the same. You know, like I say, we, we, we're older, so, of course, not partying uh, as much. But, uh, I mean, everybody's just, just, just staying in tune with what, what the next person has going on, support. Uh, Killer Mike, when he had his project coming out, I was down there supporting his move. If it, depending on what's going on, we try to support each other. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I just got off the phone with Backbone. Uh, who, who's part of the DF? Um, I just got on the phone with him pro- right right before you and I uh, got online, and uh, we were talking about his. He, he he has a dope project that he's put together. I got a song that I actually got on one song, but he um, ended up putting Cujo on there. So we took that my verse off, and I'm gonna put I'm doing uh, got to get on another song to complete his his project. But his his project is is dope. I'm working on some new music. Um, as we speak, just trying to get get everything I want to put together uh, with that project uh, in order. Um, and then, like I said, I've been doing a lot more film stuff. We've been doing a lot of independent films, working on uh, a few things in that lane, and then putting music in, in some of these films as well. How did you get involved with films? Well, I had been... Uh, we had an opportunity to be in a movie... Whew, it may have been back in 2004 or five or something like that uh, with uh, a buddy of ours, Eric Swirl. That Swirl films, um, they're pretty big. Uh, but they put us in a movie, uh, 20 Funerals, a long time ago. And then I, and even from as a child, just growing up, that, I had been acting on stage, uh, acting uh, since second grade, third grade, I guess. Uh, and and I took drama in school. I had an opportunity for a drama scholarship. So acting has always been part of uh, what I had going on entertainment wise. I just had not it, it um went gone there yet. We've been doing like I'm probably in about eight, maybe nine independent films right now. And uh I just teamed up with a buddy of mine, DJ Westside. Uh we got a uh, some major stuff that we're about to uh, put together with the film stuff. And I've been talking to some of the big wigs about uh, some other opportunities in that lane as well. And so uh, got a lot of good stuff cooking with the film in the film game. So people got to stay tuned for, for Slim to be in, uh, in some films. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I'm playing on, I'm, like I said, I'm acting, I'm uh, producing, directing, writing a little bit of everything just depending on what the situation calls for but uh i'm i'm all the way locked in with that so you you've always had this in you the entertainment and the the performer kind of gene it's always been around ever since you were young yeah definitely definitely it's just just i don't know why it's something i i guess i grew to love as a child and uh just been keeping it going you know, it's funny, I did drama in high school as well. Um, I did, like, I don't know what it is. There's something about being on stage that I always found fascinating. Like, I'm a, I am like public speaking. Surprise, surprise, someone who has a podcast okay. likes to speak. Um, but, <laughs> right. 
but there's something to me. I don't know. I singing never. I can't sing in front of people, but like I don't know. There's something about a crowd, and there's something about getting a crowd on a journey, and that has always fascinated me. And yeah, I don't know. Okay. This it's an addiction. I think of like being in front of people and entertaining them. Now it's funny. I never really used to like to stand up and speak in front of the class. I hated that. <laughs> but as far as just the the the, the uh, drama and the acting on uh, improv, but we used to do a lot of improv and drama class. Uh, so that stuff was always fun to me. Though I always, I don't know, it, it's some about it just just drew me to it. Yeah, I think it's because you you get to pretend for a little bit. You like probably so. And it's just be somebody else. And it's just fun. Like there's no stakes with doing that stuff like that. Like, you know, I, I did improv as well and like, yeah, there's no stakes. If you fuck it up, you fuck it up. You're like, all right, next next thing. It's like it's gone in exactly. an instant. Exactly. You just keep going. And so now, like, obviously acting in movies, like, do you have time frames of when like people can expect to see you in things or anything like that? Well, um, a few of the movies are out. Some are on Tubi. Uh, some are on the way. I mean, um, The Dirty Game Part 2, which is a film they put out on Tubi. Uh, it's featuring, uh, I can't think of his real name, but he played Biggie in, um, in, the, in the Notorious Big movie. I'm in a scene with him playing a radio station DJ, and that's The Dirty Game 2. So that should be out of the, uh, really any, any time. Now, we shot that around April of last year. And so that'll be out. Uh, I'm in a few, like I said, I'm in a few films that the products of the American ghetto that's on Tubi and a few other uh, digital platforms, Traffic for Christmas, Jack Boys 1 and 2. Um, and I'm in, I'm probably in like another three or four films. I'm not sure what platforms they're on, but uh, I'm in, I'm in a few more films that are actually out as well. So, um, and then we got a list of, of stuff that we about to do. Uh, this year, we I just had a meeting last week, um, so we we about to get the ball rolling and, and start shooting within the next week or two uh, some new stuff. So it's all happening. Definitely, definitely, and uh, we just like I said, I'm working on, on on film stuff from on all all different levels. Some for some of these digital platforms, but we're trying to work on some major network stuff as well. Um, Got a lot of different things that are, that we're putting together as, as we speak. So, uh, y'all just get ready. It's on the way. Can I ask you? I'm always interested. Like, I've always thought about this, like, hip-hop movies. It feels like we don't have a lot of hip-hop movies that really blow up or, like, biographical movies that, like, really change the game significantly. I think Straight, Straight Outta Compton was probably the biggest one that we saw. Right. But we haven't seen, like... I know there's so much rich history and storytelling in the history of hip hop. And it just feels like there is a real gap of like how far we've been able to delve into that. Yeah. I think it's, it, it just, it, it's a tricky, it's something tricky that has to be put together. Um, the game has changed so much. So you got a lot of artists that are a lot more reserved and want to tell their own stories. Um, so it, I think it is just from that standpoint, trying to put it together. Now, um, the guy I'm working with, he's putting some stuff together, uh, kind of like a hip hop, uh, I want to, it's not a podcast because they interviewing different artists and, and, and it's coming from a different, different perspective, telling the story from a, from a different view. So, um, we got some other stuff in that lane that we're putting together. Of course, we get it, all of us in the DF probably have had people come to us at, at different times and say, "When y'all gonna do the Dungeons and the store?" So who knows when that'll ever happen? That that in itself is a tricky one to even get put together because so many of the guys have other different uh, things that they're doing and, and want to do in that lane. So we, we're trying to figure that out as well. Do you think it'll ever happen, though? I think so. Um, I, it's just. Getting the, it's, it's getting the bigger guys that, you know, I'll uh, come together and, and put it together. Dre had been doing what he was doing as far as musically, but I think Outkast may be uh, going to do another album possibly. So, you know, possibly if they do that, then 
you know, the trickle down effect may may come out off of off of that situation. It's it's hard to say because you got so many guys in the DL. Uh and like I said, everybody has different stuff going on, different ideas and different stuff that they want to do or see. And uh so it's just trying to mesh all of that and get everybody on one accord. So we'll see. We're gonna stay optimistic though. Yeah, well I think everyone's excited. I mean I I'd be excited for it. Like you know, to see that that story on film, but do you think that if Outcast was to do another album, do you think like how do you feel the reception would be now? I know like it, it's interesting. It's, it's, yeah, it is uh, because so much time has left. It's just hard to say. But I mean, just like the anticipation for Drake and a lot of people were expecting the rap album. Uh, I think it, 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 it's still it's still a lot of people who would. A lot of anticipation would be there, um, and then they just have to deliver. You know, that's that's the main thing is delivering something that the people go love. I mean, how do you view Dre's view on like you know he has been pretty vocal about saying hip hop is a young person's game that like you know he doesn't feel his place in hip hop. What's your perception of that? Uh, I don't see. I never listen to a song and put an age on it, so I don't get that because i never have i mean when i was younger and my and my mom was listening to the music that she was listening to and we and we we listened we had to listen to it we never cared it wasn't the old people's music or we it was just music so um i mean you know everybody has their own opinion my opinion is music is music and if you like it you like it because if i if i play a song and you don't know who put it out when they were born, how old they are, any of that, and you like the song, you just like the song. Is if you like a song and then you hear this person is older later on, are you gonna not like the song anymore? <laughs> I don't think that's gonna be the case. So, I mean, I don't see how people try to even put age on music. Now I get it when 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 you're talking about certain art, certain people who saying you know a person at forty, forty, forty five years old trying to be a rapper for the first time in their life you know i could get that maybe a little more but you know somebody who's vetted in the game if jay-z drop an album tomorrow you know we're probably gonna check it out well i mean you just look at the biggest artists in the world right now none of them are like 22 they're all in 30s pushing 40s like they're all of them Exactly, exactly. So that's the difference. Um, you know, it, I don't, I, like I said, I don't see, age, age has nothing to do with it, in my, in my opinion. You know, experiences, you know, you people who, who've seen a lot and been through a lot, it's plenty to talk to. It's enough going on in the world. I always have something to talk about. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I mean, my opinion has always been if you drop good music, that's that that is the test is it good now now the only thing it just the only thing i could see from his perspective maybe is certain artists draw from experiences that they're going through at that particular moment to create what it is they're doing and i get it you know you're you're a millionaire you know you're a little older you don't have to do nothing every day it's just you know Sometimes it's like, well, what am I drawing? And then, see, Dre has not been around the guy like that, you know? So it's a lot less for him to draw off of um, versus someone like Big, who has still been dropping the albums, but he still has a lot of the guys around him. Yeah, I wonder if it's just like a self-protection thing to be like, you know, I did what I did. It was extremely successful. And now I'm ready to accept that that may never happen again. That it's like, I'm okay with putting that chapter, like that chapter of my life was amazing, but it's done. And I'm okay with that. And I've accepted that fact. So for me to then reopen the door is just me trying to reclaim something from my past. And it's like almost easier to just be like, hey, that was a really cool part of my journey. It enabled me to do everything that I'm doing now, but I'm not that same person anymore. I don't feel like I could present 
a body of work that is anywhere near what I used to be able to do. And I, and I get that too. I mean, and, and that's what a lot of people, even as the fans, have to realize. They they jumped off in the game, you know, coming straight out of high school, 17, 18 years old, uh, going, you know, as far as with their careers in, in the music industry. So, uh, you know, 20, 30, 30 years, almost 30 years in the game, uh, I get it. You might not want to do that no more. So I get I get that part as well. And then, it, like I said, it's just, it depends on where your passion is. We had some, growing up, doing music, and, and, and I'm pretty sure this is with the majority of the, all the guys as far as in the DF and a lot of uh, guys in the past, um, we had a different love for the game. You know, it wasn't a money grab. You know what I'm saying? We actually loved making music. We didn't do we didn't do music trying to be famous. We didn't do music to try to make a million dollars. We did music because we loved to do music, and those perks just happened to come with it. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. No more. He doesn't have love for it, and like you know, maybe now even you know the attention. Now that he knows there is significantly more attention, like eyes on him, fans want it so badly. It's like. I know you want it so badly that I can't give it to you. It's like no matter what I do, it's not going to be what anyone wants in a weird way. It's like, yeah, the, the expectations would be astronomically high, like the hype. It doesn't. It almost doesn't matter what they release. Everyone's going to have an opinion on it. Right, and, and and I think, I mean, of course, like you said, he, he waited so long, and I said that a long time ago. He put more pressure on himself if he ever decides to do that. but. um he is records that are done. Uh, and he's just, he, he is his biggest critic. So I, Dre got some songs, you know, that he could probably play that would kill a lot of this stuff out here. Uh, but to him, it's not what he want to present. So from that standpoint, it's a, it's a little different. And then, you know, we could be in the studio and hear it and be like, man, if y'all put this out tomorrow, <laughs> you out of here. But, you're like, mm, I don't like that. It's something to it that, you know, that he don't like. And it is what it is. He's always, and it, that's not nothing new. This is something, he, he's been that way even when they were dropping the albums, you know. Um, so if if it's not, because one thing he's not going to do is anything. He doesn't want to do something that, that just fits in to what's going on. It needs to sound like something new and fresh. And uh, so from his standpoint, you know, he, like I said, he's going to be a, a bigger critic of, of, of what's pre- what what he puts out there that represents him. Yeah. I mean, maybe nothing will ever be good enough anymore. And possibly. Like I said, you know, only he knows, only they know. <laughs> we just all sit back and see. I'm an outcast fan, so, you know, I want to hear it. You, you know what I mean? Um, Future, future is my new uh, Andre three thousand. As far as he the three thousand of the youth, so you know that that's who they love. Um, it is what it is. We just take a little bit of what's going on and a little bit of what's in the past, man, and we just keep it going. Well, I think as a music fan, everyone would be listening to that project. Everyone wants that project to come out, but yeah, I think Definitely. as long as as long as the music's right and he's feeling good about it, then that's all that really matters. But man, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and talk about Definitely. your music and, and, and your history in music, but I only have one more question for you. It's the only question okay. that I plan on the show. It's probably the toughest question that I ask, but if you had to recommend one album that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of can be any genre of music cannot be your own music. What would it be? Any album. Hmm. That's dope. Uh, One album. I mean, you can take uh, me through your process, but yeah, one album. Well, well, see, I, the two, two of the greatest albums 
my personal two greatest is gonna be the first Dr. Dre Chronic album and Outcast Stank on you. Those are two of the biggest out al- greatest albums in my personal that I can think of just right off top as far as when I think of uh how those albums were put together, the, the quality, the uh the camaraderie throughout those projects. Um and then I and, and, and trust me, it's a it's a lot more albums that I could put somewhere in that same, but if I if I but it's gonna probably be those two at the top for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think both classic albums. I mean, if you if if you haven't listened to them, you have to listen to them. That's like the they're like in the in the hip hop school book of like if you haven't like you can't really call yourself a fan. Right, exactly, exactly. It's, it, it, that extremely dope album, and like I said, I got a, it's I got a lot of other albums um, that are that are right there. Uh, I think it was Nas' second album. Um, Uh, uh, me against the uh, uh, Tupac, the the the, the uh, life after death, Biggie Smalls, like those projects were like just 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 to a whole another level. Some so, of the greatest. So let me ask you: ever. Did you prefer Life After Death or Ready to Die? I think I like Ready to Die was definitely a classic Life After Death because it was so much in those albums that that just turned out to be real life. Um, the song, you know, Biggie Pass right after the album came out and then you had I mean the album is Life After Death uh, and then just some of the songs that were on there just it just was crazy so it meant it meant so much um just like the machiavelli album with with tupac uh the live and die in la and you know just certain songs just what what those artists meant to to the to hip-hop at the time i actually got the i got all the vibe uh, magazine covers from when they had the beef going on, the one with both of them on the cover, the one with Biggie, the one with Pop. I got all those Vibe magazine covers and, and uh, just what they meant to the hip-hop game and, and, and the transition. You know, when, when both of them passed, the game started to change right then as well. So, um, it's you know it, it, it's a it's a lot to the music more than a lot of people think, um, and and like I said, music meant even more back then because you know you you used it for different reasons in your life. I had a I I see people regularly when I step out who was like, man, your first album I was going through this, I was locked up, I was this, that, and the other, and it just helped me get through certain period of time in my life and I just don't see a lot of music that's out right now that people can say, oh, I was listening to this particular album that came out in 2023 that helped me out in my life, you know, because the content in the same, you know, it's just a different type of uh, content, you know, what people talking about right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I just find the like the premonitions that they had, like Biggie. Exactly, exactly. It's like the the insight for him to call his first album "Ready to Die." Then he dies, and then an album right. to be called "Life yeah. After Death." It's After like death. it's crazy to me that he could, like, I don't know, it makes you think that like they saw something in there in the future exactly. that that no one else was ready to to see or even able to read in the hand of cards that were dealt. Exactly, and 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 I think you know, like I said, those that that those are de- definitely two classic albums. Um, and it's just like I like you said, the premonitions just just wicked. You know, it's just crazy. Well, man, 
the premonitions for you in 2024 are only good, my friend. Uh, obviously, we are all looking forward to to more projects coming out. But as I said, Loose Leaf Volume 7 came out 2023. Check it out if you haven't checked it out. Stay tuned right. for movies as well. The man is doing it all. Producer, writer, director, actor. You know it's all coming. But, man, as I said, thank you for your time and sharing all that you have. But is there anything else you wanted to shout out? Anything else you wanted to plug? Man, uh, y'all just get ready. Everything on the way. The movies is on the way. Uh, Loose Leaf Volume 8 on the way. We probably going to shoot a short film for this one, so y'all get ready for that. And uh, y'all stay tuned. Follow me on all social media, Slim Calhoun. That's Slim with two M's, Calhoun, all one word, on all social media. Y'all know what it is. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news also don't forget to check out my patreon under hip hop hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show bye for now